Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and the 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I am your other host, Emily Bejan. Trigger warning. The Grinch. I'm literally fucking shaking right now. He took everything. He even took the last can of my who hash. <laughs> now, I can't take credit for that joke because it is... It is very funny, and it is a Twitter joke that is going around from at the Life of Tribe. And when it went around this week, I kind of felt like, wow, you know, Emily and I are just like finger on the pulse of old millennial trends. We had just finished talking about how this week's episode, let's get into the Christmas spirit. Let's get into, let's let the, the holiday spirit take us over. So let's talk about how the Grinch stole Christmas. Not that one. No, not that other one. No, the one from 2000 with Jim Carrey in it. Let's talk about that. And then wouldn't you know, I log on to Twitter.com and I see this beautiful tweet and I just <laughs> knew I had to, to to open the show this way. Nothing felt more right. Actually, only one other thing felt right. Emily, can you tell them the link that I sent you before we hit record? Well, readers, you may be, or well, listeners, you may be able to hear them a little. And readers, sick. you and read readers, the description for you this. You read the maybe. description, maybe. Uh, I was sent a link of the most haunting of Grinch dolls, and not just any Grinch doll, a Grinch baby doll with removable Santa costume, Christmas stuffed plush toy, handmade lifelike realistic cartoon doll, Christmas furry cute doll toy home decorations from one Walmart.com. And. Oh. It is harrowing, harrowing. (laughs) 
So I, I was made aware of the baby Grinch doll community through Danny Pellegrino's holiday-themed movie podcast, A Very Merry Iconic Podcast. It's very funny. They have a couple parts about the Grinch episode. And so he he's the one who made me aware initially. And th- and when I say it's a community, like there are people on message mm. boards who are like, my baby Grinch, and I bought two because I thought one would be lonely. And you're like, oh, my God, that's scary. <laughs> um, but – you know, it's one of those things where that happens to other people. That's other people with their baby Grinch doll situation. That that sure. could not happen to me, let alone to me at a Home Depot at 8.30 a.m. on a Saturday. I turned a corner and bam, a bunch of baby Grinch dolls at a Home Depot. It oh my took God. my breath away oh when I tell my you God. I was face to face with one of these like life-sized ones. I made a a wrong turn into like the Christmas aisle as you are wont to do at such an early hour at the Home Depot uh, without your glasses on. And uh, unfortunately, my eyes did focus on this baby Grinch doll. And um, yes, I know I've said it before and I'll say it again. It gave me a fright and then it made me laugh because it is truly one of the most ridiculous things you could see in real life. So ridiculous. And the audacity that you would sell this in a, any store, any big box store, is kind of um, a fun little Christmas so, prank. <laughs> I had to ask, like, the baby Grinch has a brief moment in this film. Like, it is five, maybe, you know, two minutes at most, really. Most of, there's a bit more on the child Grinch and then adult Grinch is most of this film. But there isn't like a spinoff that we haven't talked about or heard about, right? Like there, it isn't like Mandalorian where there is baby Yoda <laughs> and like that's an actual main character. Ew, Emily, we don't have, even, shh, no. But no, but, but we've made Because if they hear this, they're gonna make like Ron Mandalorian and Brian Yes, I can see it now. The second you said Mandalorian, I was like, oh, no, they're going to try to make this thing cute to us. And it's not cute. And no, we didn't miss like an origin story, a prequel or a sequel about why this baby Grinch is so popular. (laughs) But it just is the amount of Grinch decor at Home Depot is people love it. Life people love it. Size Grinch. There is also a Grinch that you can inflate and put in your car, so it looks like you're riding around. Hey, HOV three, Margo. HOV (laughs) three. Although I do support that, you know that's not going to fly, and then you have to go to court and say this out loud in front of a judge. You know, Can just you think about the, just think, just think through a couple steps and you'll get there. Oh, my God. But the fact the fact that this specific how they're going to stole Christmas 2000, um, the hold that the merch has, though, even though there have been many iterations before and since, I feel like this one is the one that gets most referenced visually in the merch Um as the years go by. But the Gr- How the Grinch Stole Christmas was a huge phenomenon when it was released. Did you see How the Grinch Stole Christmas when it was I when it certain- came out? I certainly did. I went and saw it in theaters with at least one or two friends and I think my parents. So, yes, did you see it? I did. And you know when we went to see Priscilla in theaters a couple weeks ago, there is there was a trailer for you know that they do like the phantom events where they'll like bring back an old movie yeah. with some sort of fanfare around it they're bringing back the grinch i believe it's like this weekend or maybe next weekend and 
Nikki and I were sitting next to each other and she said that when she saw the Grinch opening weekend when she was a kid, it they oversold the theater to the point where people were sitting in the aisles. And I remember having a similar experience going opening weekend. It was we quite crowded. Aisles, it was, yeah, it was cra- You would think we were going to a Taylor Swift concert for a lack yeah. of a better comparison, you know? I mean, it was huge. And even though at the time, we'll talk more about it later, you know, it didn't get great ratings and reviews. Uh, it was a big phenomenon because I, you know, it was to the, you'll probably talk about this, I believe one of the highest grossing holiday films. Like it, it had been a while since there had been one. If I, if I can really think back at that time, because the early nineties has quite a few and then the mid to late nineties, barring jingle all the way. And maybe that Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I'll be home for Christmas movie. Like there really isn't much in the, in the family holiday of it all until Elf. Well, I will say I did, I do have some stuff in there later about it's gross and where it ranks, but I ended up cutting the Rotten Tomatoes stuff because I thought, you know, what is that real? What does that really matter anymore? Like how seriously do people take Rotten Tomatoes anymore? Like I think it's a nice to have, but I don't believe the culture necessarily puts that much of a weight behind it as they used to. But that being said, I was surprised that it was 49%. Really? Yes. I See, I remember it getting not great ratings. 49%. Yeah, no, you'd be correct, which is extremely surprising because, I mean, at least nowadays, it feels more like the – amount of box office slash popularity to positive reviews tends to be about the same most of the time. You know, even like Fast and Furious now, I would say like does okay in the Rotten Tomato scale because people understand and accept what it is. But I I don't know if people actually care that long, that much um, about Rotten Tomato score. Yeah, I don't think so either. Wait, I'm going to look it up officially. Hang on. It's 49%. And even the audience score is 58. I don't know. I feel like this movie was insanely popular when it came out. And it's been popular on, I wouldn't say necessarily ABC on ABC Family. Like, um, like, yeah, it, just like in replays. Oh, yeah. It's up there with Home Alone. It's not like yeah. people are shy about playing this version. I know that they they would also annually play the animated version. But still, that was a really surprising thing that I found. But again, I wasn't sure how much anybody cared about that. But now we're talking about it. Now we're talking about it. Well, let's get into a general overview about how The Grinch Stole Christmas. Just some basics about what you should know about it. So this was directed by Ron Howard, and he was fresh off of Apollo 13, which I think is an interesting choice. Yeah. (laughs) And it, it was a Christmas fantasy comedy released in 2000, produced by Brian Grazer, from a script written by Jeffrey Pierce and Peter S. Seaman. It's based on the Dr. Seuss book from 1957 of the same name and the first Dr. Seuss book to be adapted into a full-length feature film and is only one of two live-action Dr. Seuss film adaptations, the other one being The Cat in the Hat. And I do remember it being the first live-action was like a huge deal. Do you remember that being a big deal? Yeah, absolutely. I do remember that being a big deal, actually, because there was just – it was starting – we were on the dawn of, like, CGI, more and Mm -hmm. more CGI movies. So, yes, I do remember that for sure. So, like we said, this was also the second adaptation of the book after the 1966 animated TV special of the same name. How the Grinch Stole Christmas was narrated by Anthony Hopkins, who recorded his voiceover in one day, and it stars Jim Carrey as the eponymous character. 
As the king of comedy in the 90s, he was the biggest draw for the project, and his involvement helped legitimize the idea and made Universal feel a lot better about spending $120 million at the time on this movie, which I did not factor in inflation because I'm not doing math right now, but I'm sure it's a lot. The movie also starred Taylor Momsen, Jeffrey Tambor, Queen Christine Baranski, Bill Irwin, and Molly Shannon in supporting roles. How the Grinch Stole Christmas was released by Universal Pictures in the U.S. November 17th, 2000, and it initially received, like we said, mixed reviews from critics, although Jim Carrey's performance and the makeup have always received praise across the board. It would eventually go on to win Academy Award for Best Makeup that year. It spent four weeks as the number one movie in the U.S. and grossed $345 million worldwide, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 2000. At the time, it also became the second highest grossing holiday film of all time, right behind Home Alone from the 1990s. Uh, And both films were finally surpassed in 2018 by the third adaptation of this movie, which it was also animated. And is it it Tom Hiddleston voices the Grinch in that one? That... That sounds right. I am. Or is it the other one? Is it Benedict Cumberbatch? Is it Benedict Cumberbatch? It sounds like Cumberbatch, to be honest. Let me, but I'm confirming it is Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay. I do always get them mixed up. So now on to a section of the story that I like to call How the Grinch Got Its IP Rights. So Dr. Seuss, whose real name is Theodore Geisel, had refused to sell the rights, the film rights to any of his books. But after he died in 1991, that decision went to his his widow, Audrey. So she was willing to auction off the rights to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but producers had to give her something for it uh, in the form of 4% of the box office gross, half of the merchandising revenue. So begs the question, was the baby Grinch fad Audrey's idea? I don't know. Let's <laughs> uh, just putting it out there. She went from not wanting to taint the brand to just like a free for all. <laughs> Bring me the baby Grinch doll. <laughs> uh, she also asked for seventy percent of the profits from book tie-ins. Um, when you add all of that, she also wanted a five million dollar just price tag for the material itself. So she wanted all that back end shit plus five hundred million dollars up front because. That girl's like, you will be giving me money. In addition to the monetary stuff, Audrey also had some stipulations about who she wanted to play the Grinch. And so she wanted the actor to have the same level of status as a Robin Williams or a Jim Carrey. Additionally, she stipulated that the estate would not consider a director or a writer who had not earned at least $1 million on a previous movie. So 20th Century Fox pitched their version with director Tom Scheidack and producers Dave Phillips and John Davis in attendance with Jack Nicholson in mind to play the Grinch. The Fairley brothers pitched it with John Hughes. Universal finally held their own presentation with Brian Grazer and Gary Ross, but Audrey refused every offer. Before uh, Ron Howard would eventually sign on, Tim Burton was asked to direct, but he ended up turning it down because he had a scheduling conflict with Sleepy Hollow. By then, that gave Brian Grazer enough time to get his producing partner, Ron Howard, to help with negotiations. At the time, Ron Howard was developing a film adaptation of The Sea Wolf. So despite being an avid fan of the the animated special of The Grinch, he never really expressed an interest in directing a live-action version. But when he was studying the book, he became very interested in the character Cindy Lou Who and pitched a film in which she would have a larger role as well as materialistic representation of the Who's and an expanded backstory for the Grinch. Another question to ask ourselves, is this where we're really getting into this like villain origin story movie stuff like with Wonka and Cruella DeVille? Does it all start with the Grinch and then just like billow out to what we've got now? I don't know. Is, Again, I mean, is one... 
Is Wonka a villain? I guess he he's like a trickster, but yeah, he's somewhat Emily, a villain. Emily, he tries to murder he murder children. That's what? children. That's true. I'm That's so sorry. True. Is he a? Vi- are we really? Are you serious right now? Is he a That's villain? True. That's true. I mean, I guess yeah. The the ultimately Charlie Bucket just like is the happy ending is that he survives. <laughs> exactly. Um, like, no, but yeah, it's I like think fucking have, naked and afraid in there. What are you talking about? I think we, yeah, it's 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 saw with with a sweet tooth. Um, mm-hmm. We we do, yeah. I mean, maybe we do have Brian Grazer, Ron Howard, and Imagine Entertainment to blame for the villain origin story film. So thanks a lot, thanks a lot, Ron. In September of 1998, uh, Ron Howard did sign on to direct and co-produce the movie with Jim Carrey in the lead role. Universal paid $9 million for the film rights to The Grinch and Oh, The Places You'll Go to Audrey. Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Herman, who wrote uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and um, Doc Hollywood, wrote the final screenplay after eight drafts. Audrey also had veto power over the script. She objected to several jokes and sexual innuendos, including one about a family who did not have a Christmas tree or presents, because, and they were jokingly called the Hoosteins, which is probably not the worst thing to object to, and the placement of a stuffed trophy of the cat in the hat on the Grinch's wall. Alec Berg from Barry, David Mandel, and Jeff Schaefer were also unaccredited rewriters, and they are also writers from Seinfeld. So on to the onset drama, and boy, was there a bunch. Principal photography took place from September of 1999 to January of 2000, which is a very long time to be working on one movie. Audrey came to the set in October. No word on if she, you know, had a problem with anything. But most of the Whoville set was built on the Universal Studios backlot behind the Bates Motel from Psycho. Rick Baker designed and created the prosthetic makeup for Jim Carrey and the rest of the cast. After a bunch of tests, they initially just went with the first makeup test that they had for the Grinch, which is what we know from the movie and now from just the endless baby Grinch merch. Bringing the Grinch suit to life was always going to be a huge challenge because in the original book and cartoon, there's not really a lot to work with there. But they knew that he had to be green, obviously, and he had to have yellow eyes. So the Grinch suit ended up being like yak hair dyed green and then sewn into a spandex suit. And then they gave Jim Carrey yellow contacts. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. Do you want to be zipped up in like yak? Like I'm sure it's very hot and then you're in a spandex suit and then you're under lights and you have like how much prosthetic makeup, like pounds on you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Maybe that's why it's like always animated from here on out because it wasn't meant to be a live action movie. It took two and a half hours to get Jim Carrey into the Grinch makeup and about an hour to get it off, which he likened to, quote, being buried alive. Carrey hated being put into costume so much, he emotionally tortured one of the lead makeup artists, Kazuhiro Soju, who had such a bad experience on the set of this movie, he went into intense therapy after. Not only did Jim Carrey kick a hole in the wall of his trailer, Hero recounted, on set, he was really mean to everybody. And at the beginning of production, they couldn't finish. After two weeks, we could only finish three days worth of shooting of the shooting schedule because suddenly he would disappear. And when he came back, everything was ripped apart and we couldn't shoot anything. Eventually, Hero rightfully quit. Baker and Ron Howard had to have a discussion with Jim Carrey about how important he was to the project uh, uh, Hero was. Eventually... They got Jim Carrey to finally keep his anger in check, which is like, okay, wow. And Brian Grazer decided to hire a consultant to train Jim Carrey on methods of enduring torture. And Hero finally returned. Jim Carrey's frequent 
frequent disappearances from set, we would later learn was due to an ongoing addiction battle that he was going through. But once he got it under control, he was able to use the techniques he learned from the CIA to relax while getting his makeup done. I also recently learned, thanks to the Very Merry Iconic podcast, that a part of this, his method here, was he would listen to the Bee Gees like on repeat, just blasting. <laughs> all in all, Jim Carrey spent 92 days in Grinch makeup, but he wasn't alone. Josh Ryan Evans, who plays the eight-year-old version of the Grinch, a.k.a. Baby Grinch, a.k.a. Baby Grinch doll, wore the same style of makeup and bodysuit as Jim Carrey did. And one day, Ron Howard decided to get into drink Grinch drag to better understand what Jim Carrey was going through. Ron Howard also brought Don, Don Knotts to set to cheer up Jim Carrey because he's a huge fan. And as a seasoned comedian and a guy who just looks like he really enjoys doing bit work, it probably will come as zero shock to anybody that Jim Carrey improved a lot on set. Most famously, he improved the joke, 6.30, dinner with myself, can't cancel that again. And since real snow couldn't actually be used for a lot of different reasons, but also because it's going to melt, the production team had to find a different way to make some snow for Whoville. So they crushed up 75 tons of white marble to make the quote unquote snow. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And also, wouldn't that hurt? They're like shards. That's, yeah, that sounds very painful. Like you better have some proper soles under those, like, Weird Whoville slippers. (laughs) Under your Who boots or whatever. Speaking of the residents of Whoville, they all had similar-ish looks and facial designs, but their individual outfits were different, but not too different from one another. This was achieved by LA-based sweater designer Sus Cousins, who, along with two other knitters, made 250 original pieces of knitwear by hand. They made 83 sweaters in four months, including eight of the red Grinch sweaters that Jim Carrey wore. On the ramp up to the release of Grinch, in the summer of 2000, a trailer for How the Grinch Stole Christmas premiered in theaters with screenings of Mission Impossible 2 and Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. This is just to give you an idea of the movie landscape at the time. Meanwhile, Toys R Us began promoting the film, transforming most of their locations into a hubilitation headquarters. The entrances had eight-foot 3D characters from the movie at numerous locations. To also coincide with the release of the film, Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal's Islands of Adventure began a hosting holiday event called Grinchmas. Only recently did they discontinue Grinchmas at Universal Studios Hollywood, I believe, like, maybe when the last Grinch came out, so like 2018, so like not that long ago. You just reminded me there was so many, there were so many promos with this movie, like a lot of product placement. Um, and then a lot of, yeah, like I even think at the time there was, yeah, happy hula days, like the USPS had a collaboration mm-hmm. with the Grinch. And so the stamp you would see on your like holiday cards you were sending out when you would receive them would the postmark would be like happy hula days. Like it was, it was a frenzy. Yeah. I mean, this was peak movie promo tie-ins because I mean, they had, a movie promo time with Wendy's, with Coke, with a bunch of giant brands and then not to mention giant retailers on top of it. It was inescapable. I mean, they had like Whoville slash Grinch branded Oreos for the holidays that were like different colors. Maybe they were green or something. I forget. But there were just a bunch of movie tie ins for this. 
And it paid off because How the Grinch Stole Christmas opened at number one and grossed $260 million domestically and $345 million worldwide, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 2000. It was also the biggest opening weekend for a Ron Howard movie. And for Jim Carrey, it surpassed Batman Forever to achieve his largest opening weekend at that point. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It was also the first non-Disney movie to win Thanksgiving weekend box office since Mrs. Doubtfire in 1993, and then it held the record for highest opening weekend for a Christmas-themed movie for 18 years until the 2018 version of The Grinch surpassed it with $67.6 million. In its second weekend, the film grossed $52 million, only dropping 5%, setting the new record for highest-grossing second weekend for any film at the time, beating The Phantom Menace. It stayed at the top of the box office for four weekends until it was overtaken by What Women Want and Dude, Where's My Car in mid-December. <laughs> so, especially Dude, Where's My Car being released in mid-December. I know. Like a, huh? Who, what, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have no choice but to go with it because it happened. That's what happened. That's the history. But How the Grinch Stole Christmas continued to draw holiday crowds during this time while it was up against another family-oriented movie, The Emperor's New Groove, which is all to say the How the Grinch Stole Christmas was a huge success and an even bigger merchandising success uh, of the 2000s and today. And that is all the behind-the-scenes Grinch business I've got for you. So I have some info on casting. You obviously talked about how Jim Carrey was tied to this movie kind of from the beginning with Brian and Grazer and Ron Howard. So he was always the front runner in the Howard Grazer version of this film all the way to the beginning when they were pitching Dr. Seuss's widow, Audrey Geisel. And when, um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the only time someone else was considered really was when people were pitching other directors were pitching their version, like Tom Shadyak with Jack Nicholson, which to me makes no sense whatsoever. But I digress. At the time, Jim Carrey was hot off of The Truman Show, which had been released in 1998. And then in 1999, he was filming his role as Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon, which probably explains a lot of his behavior on this set. So Audrey Geisel, as part of the conditions for making the decision as to who is getting cast in this film 
wanted to make sure he was the right actor for the role. So she came to the set of Man on the Moon to see if Jim Carrey was the right guy to play the Grinch. And if you've seen the documentary Jim and Andy the Great and Beyond, you'll remember just how method, which is coded for asshole, uh, Jim Carrey went into the role of Andy Kaufman and how everyone on this set was on the verge of murdering him, including the director Milos Forman. He was so deep into the character of Andy Kaufman that he basically did an impression of Jim Carrey doing an impression of the Grinch when he met Audrey Geisel, and that is what got him the gig. So I think that explains a little more contextually as to why he was the way he was on set. I am sure that did not help. Um, In terms of the other people in this film, you mentioned Taylor Momsen, obviously, who played Cindy Lou Who. This was her third film TV acting credit ever. And prior to this, she was in an uncredited role of an episode of Early Edition and then some movie called The Prophet's Game, which doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. And her first acting gig had just been a few years later in a 1997 Shake and Bake commercial at three years old. She filmed this movie when she was six years old, which is pretty remarkable considering she's one, one of the leads in this film. And two of the like, you know, when we're talking child star portrayals on screen, I remember her playing this pretty well, like especially for a six year old. Like that's that's pretty amazing. Like there's some really just cheesy children, child actors out there. She was one of the better ones, um, as mm-hmm. I remember every time I watch this film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now she's best known as Little J from Gossip Girl, and she was in The Pretty Reckless, yada, yada. But just, again, completely shocked as to how young she was uh, when she was cast and inexperienced. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who we don't like, but he plays Mayor Augustus Mayhew, was mostly known as a character actor at this point because this is pre-Arrested Development, Transparent, and many other things. He was most notably known, though, as playing alongside Gary Shandling on The Larry Sanders Show at the time. And that was, he had had several credits over the past few decades, but it was a lot of character actor work. Uh, But let's move on from that awful human and move on to our queen, Martha May Huvier, played by the iconic Christine Baranski, who Matt... um, Steals the show. Steals the show, and our our boy Matt Rogers has a whole song about her on his Christmas album. Yay! I'm going to see that <laughs> soon. Um, at this point, Baranski had a number of acting credits to her name, including roles in Adam's Family Values and The Birdcage. But on screen, she was best known for being Sybil Shepherd's friend Mar- Mary Ann Thorpe on the 90s show Sybil, which got her her first Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in a comedy series in 1998. Off screen, she was a Broadway queen who's won both the Tony Award, Drama Desk Award. She's actually won each of those twice, by the way. And after The Grinch, her next big role was as the reporter Mary Sunshine in the film adaptation of Chicago. And I believe, and this really kind of continues her um, trajectory towards like bigger and bigger roles on TV and on, on screen. We also cannot forget to talk about the actor who plays the young Grinch in the flashback scene. So Joshua Ryan Evans, you mentioned earlier, who is best known for playing Timmy Lennox on the soap opera Passions. So Timmy's oh, the, yeah. you know, the doll created by the town yeah, witch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like her oh, evil. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I there was one thing I definitely was sat for after school. It was Passions. <laughs> I'm glad I to love hear that. that show. We should do an episode about Passions. I fucking love that show. 
I caught it here and there. I was not a big soap kid, but I would love to talk about soap operas on this uh, podcast because the 90s were just filled with, filled with them. And we just don't, we have a few still on the air these days, but a lot of them are off the air now. So, uh, but you know, he obviously played a small child in all of the roles of his life due to having this condition called achondroplasia, which is a form of dwarfism. And sadly, he passed away a few years after filming this during a medical procedure um, from complications that came from a heart defect he had. So he died when he was 20 years old. Uh, other notable actors in this movie include Bill Irwin and Molly Shannon, who play Lulu Who and Betty Lou Who. And Irwin has been a working actor for many, many years on stage and screen. And his stage work has been mostly quite a few roles in shows that he's written or helped create that incorporate elements of clowning, interestingly enough. Um, and he's also been in quite a few uh, films that were directed by Jonathan Demi, the late Jonathan Demi, um, including Rachel Gehring Getting Married, where he played the dad, and then later Ricky in the Flash. Um, he had just, prior to The Grinch, acted in the latest film adaptation of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, an adaptation that I didn't know existed until doing research for this, which stars Kevin Klein as Bottom, Michelle Pfeiffer and Rupert Everett as Titania and Oberon, Stanley Tucci as Puck, and Callista Flockhart, Anna Friel, Christian Bale, and Dominic West as the four lovers. So uh, that is a, a version that I will be catching very soon because I did not remember this, but good for good for the uh, Bill Irwin. Um, as for Molly Shannon, she was in the middle of her star-making turn on SNL and had just done Superstar, Never Been Kissed, and Analyze This. I also have to note that her next role after The Grinch is Gail Vaughn Kleinenstein in Wet Hot American Summer. So she, like, Molly Shannon's always had a fantastic career, but this, like, little three- to four-year period is just peppered with, like, amazing, uh, interesting, iconic roles, which I love. And then the final person worth mentioning in this main cast is the narrator Anthony Hopkins, who had just done Mission Impossible 2 and decided to sandwich the Grinch narrating gig in between that movie and Hannibal. So maybe that's another that's another villain origin story, I guess. Uh, yeah, why don't I just sandwich in a little Christmas cheer between Mission Impossible 2, where I play a villain, and go play an even worse villain after that. And it's also really interesting that this trailer was attached to Mission Impossible 2, which he was in. You like Anthony Hopkins? Watch him in this star-making turn as a narrator. <laughs> we got something else for you. Um, couple final notes about casting, which is in this movie, Ron Howard and Brian Grazier cast some of their relatives in roles and cameos. So Ron Howard's brother, brother, Clint Howard, who's a very prolific character actor, plays Hubris, the aide to the mayor. Ron Howard's dad, the late actor Rance Howard, played an old timekeeper who gets his liquor taken by the Grinch, who then uses it to burn the town's giant Christmas tree as he's destroying Christmas. And Brian Grazer's brothers, actor slash director Gavin Grazer, played the yodeler who gets nabbed and his clothes then get stolen by the Grinch. And one final cameo is that Ron Howard is one of the startled twos while the Grinch rants in the city square. And that's all I have on casting. Well, we wanted to talk about Jack Frost because that was another movie that used interesting in-camera effects. <laughs> Let's Certainly. put it that way. 
I mean, yeah. they used like, you know, a puppet, which was cool. Uh, but there was not a lot of info. There was not a lot of there there. So we decided to cut it. But Emily did rewatch Jack Frost. So we oh. are going to pepper in, you know, a little quick review, a little couple of insights that we've gleaned from what research we got to finish on Jack Frost. Yeah. So I, I'm going to keep this short, you know, obviously. Sure. Um, but that movie was fascinating to rewatch, by the way, because one, it's directed by some a director named Troy Miller, who's best known for being a prolific TV and stand-up special director. Um, directed a ton of episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse, directed a bunch of episodes of The Mr. Show. And this movie even has actors from, anyway, has a ton of actors from The Mr. Show. But it's really fascinating because this is like a movie that comes out two years before The Grinch, but is another, was clearly meant to be a major player in the, hol- you know, in the blockbuster holiday family movie game back in 1998 when it came out. And it in fact came out 25 years ago as of the 10th of this month. Um, But it did horribly, horribly at the box office. It had an 80 to $85 million budget and ended up grossing under $40 million. That's not amazing. (laughs) It's not. But I do want to call out a few things in this film that were fascinating to watch. One, knowing that Jim Henson was behind the costume that is in this film, Mm because it's not, there's like little, I think they peppered in some CGI, but really it's it's all kind of animatronic, or it's someone in a costume the whole time. Two. I think it's a puppeteer. uh, It's a puppeteer. Because it's Um, not Michael Keaton, right? It's not Michael Keaton. No, no. It's just Michael Keaton's voice. Um, uh, But two, just like uh, some very interesting, um, I both rewatched this film and then also re-listened to the How Did This Get Made episode because I wanted to remember, I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy and and Mm -hmm. I am not crazy. This film is just weird. The plot is very loose. The the rules and uh, that they are using around the snowman coming back to life as the the father reincarnated, like it's Mm -hmm. just fast and loose with these rules, and there's not very much consistency. Um, And uh, ultimately, if you want to watch a bad example of a children's holiday film, um, it is available on HBO, and it currently holds a 19% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and the other final thing I want to bring up was that Sam Raimi was originally I attached was about to, to say, direct this film. Because there's one thing that they talk about in How Did This Get Made about how this movie is kind of a horror film. And so it kind of makes sense yes. that Sam Raimi yes. was at one point attached yes. to direct it. So, and obviously, you know, we haven't said this yet, but the whole puppeteer costume for Jack Frost was originally made for George Clooney and yes. they just sort of left it and they just plopped in Michael Keaton because like we'll swap a Batman for a Batman. We got a one in one out program. Truly and that's the only like, thing might have been the brows. That might have been the only thing they swapped to but, give a bit of a Keaton brow. But that's like the only and most not only but like the most notable thing about this movie was the Truly. last minute switcheroo Truly. of lead character. The other interesting thing is that that same year there was a B horror film called Jack Frost that was It was released. not that same year. It was not that same it year. Was, it was or the, not that same no, year. No, it was just it's late 
it's later. It came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years later. It just always comes up in search. And for the longest yes. time, Netflix like took advantage of everybody being confused about what if it was that, especially when especially after How Did This Get Made and it was described as a horror movie. A lot of people accidentally sat through it thinking that it was the Michael Keaton yes. movie. But yes. it, it came out at least 10 years later. So the other thing I want to bring up about Raimi's version is uh, he had envisioned this with being more like a plot tied to Frosty the Snowman, which to me is very In what interesting. Way? I don't know. That's all I could get about okay. this. I think was just like more tied to that versus the dad. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> uh-huh. But it was just it was a very interesting like there's a lot of good people involved in this film, which is interesting. Like the writers who were on this among the three writers who are credited on the script or four writers credited on the script include includes Jonathan Roberts, who is best known for co-writing the Lion King script. So hmm. this man went from writing one of the best children films of the 1990s and then worked on this. Uh, tough so stuff. That's <laughs> tough stuff indeed. Um, so that's that's Jack Frost. I mean, are there any other things we we need to talk about? I mean, Henry Rollins is in this. It's it's he plays a father. Um, Andrew Money playing Lawrence is one of the children. Uh, Kelly Preston R.A.P. is the mom. Like, if you want again, if you want to see a bad bad uh, holiday children's movie, this is a great one to watch. Well, I think John Travolta was also briefly considered for the role as well. That and makes so sense. Was Billy Bob Thornton. No, I'm sorry. Oh he was God. in the role of Mac MacArthur. My bad. That would have been really yes. funny. And Which, uh, yes. Darren Chris, it was his very first audition for, and he, <laughs> he auditioned to play Charlie. Which he's probably better off because he's. You know, He's probably better off. Poor Charlie is just traumatized throughout this entire movie I mean, and no one ever checks in on him. And no all anybody yells him. at him is, Snow Dad is better than No better Dad. Than no so da- I oh my guess God. he could just take his trauma and fuck off. We should mention one final thing about the kid who does say Snow Dad is better than No Dad. So he's the bully turned friend at the last minute, which sure, we sure. find out what later. Ha- what happened to him? Is it bad? Well, well, no, it's not bad. It's just okay. very funny. So this kid, you know, frosted tips and all in this movie, the actor's name, because I have to pull it up. I didn't have it in my notes, um, is uh believe his name is. Let me pull that up very quickly. Um, Taylor Hanley. And this man is best known for being on the OC. As you may remember, he's a part of a OC like plot arc for the first season where he is like Marissa's friend. Um, his name is Oliver. He's the oh, one that who, sounds familiar. Yes. He basically looks the same, except he has dark brown black hair. That's spiky in this movie or in, on the show versus like the frosted blonde tips. Got um, it. But, Great. But yeah. Yeah. The, the dialogue in this film, I mean, you brought up snow dad is better than no dad. There's also a point right after Jack, uh, Michael Keaton's character has died a year later, you know, he's Charlie is leaving the school and he is ignoring the bullies who are like, Hey man, you want to fight snowball fight? Yeah. And then this kid proceeds to say out of the little group of cronies, he proceeds to say, Oh man, he's no fun to make fun of since his old man died. Like, 
Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was a really hilarious and fucked up sentence. I thought you were going to say the part that always creeps me out in this fucking movie when it's like after he dies, like as a snowman, spoiler alert, he melts yeah. or whatever. <clears throat> Um, it's the where he he like blows that stupid whistle or play because like let us it's not a forget harmonica. He's, he's a deadbeat dad. Yeah, I mean he's obviously still married to Kelly Preston, but he chooses to play these shows with his crappy cover band instead of like going to his son's <laughs> hockey game or whatever. So you yeah, know, he's portrayed as like a schlub. Anyway, so he, he plays his little tune in his harmonica and he just whispers, "I will always be with you." I will. Yeah. I'm like, it just so, so, and I know it's supposed to be touching and sweet, but it does feel, again, <laughs> menacing like a horror movie. Like, I won't always be watching out. It's just a lot, you know? It's a lot. And that final scene, by the way, it's not, it's not touching. Melt. It's scary. It is he's scary. He's not melting. He's like in this tornado. And then he becomes Michael Keaton again briefly. Oh, which right. Then you're right. Oh my, the question, oh my god! Emily, like wait. the logistics of it all. Is it like the? Is it in the Mummy where like they like turn to dust and but like you see it, them briefly be a person? Like that it reminded me of that mixed with the end of Hocus Pocus in which uh, Thackeray Binks becomes Ghost Thackeray mm-hmm, Binks mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the like you know says goodbye and gives the final kiss to to Danny like Thora Birch's character and then walks off with his ghost sister Emily. It was a little like that <laughs> with Mummy dust class. <laughs> I'm also thinking of uh, like when Daniel to bring it back to Christmas movies as we wrap up to it reminds me of Daniel Stern's character when he gets electrocuted in yes, Home Alone and, Alone he, he, turns, and he turns into, into a, a skeleton. skeleton. Yes, I, I just rewatched that. Yeah, very similar. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is the season for to be on TV 24 7 along yes. with How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Beautiful. Beautiful. You wrapped it up. You mm. wrapped it up. I'm still writing the like Britney book, like a recap segue high of just like, oh, that like worked out great. And I didn't have to plug it in awkwardly, unlike what we're doing now, where we say <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode and indulging our weird fixation on a Grinch baby, <laughs> baby Grinch doll, as you well know, <laughs> which I keep wanting to say baby Gronk. But that's not correct. But wouldn't that be funny? I think there's a real uh, opportunity here for a movie child tie-in. I mean, there is a kid. Like, I read an article about it. Yeah, baby. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure you leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast, if that is possible. And also make sure that you are subscribed or followed or whatever to this feed to make sure that you always get the latest episodes from us. This was our penultimate episode. Next week will be our finale. And then we're going to go take a little hibernation break and we'll be back in the spring, much like bears and squirrels and etc. But the way that you can make sure that you never ever have to care about when we're gone and when we come back is again if you are subscribed followed whatever to this feed also you can stay up to date a different way which is following us on social media we're at the old millennials pod on instagram and facebook and until next week we say bye-bye bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.